Episode 18 is Connor Snow. Yo. Finished? Yeah. Cause when you wrapped up in a bit of lingerie, I'm wrapped around your finger like a piece of string. Song's called Lingerie. Hmm. So, presumably he's talking about pants and that. Girls in pants. So, well, they don't call them pants. So, girls in trousers. Boring. But if there's a man that can talk about girls in pants, knickers, it's Connor Snow. Absolutely. Underwear. Jollies. All right. Just got to clear it up. You know, our American counterparts. They don't understand, do they? They cat. don't understand, do they? They don't understand pants. They change it all, don't they? Who's Connor Snow? Connor. Aside from being a... He's a very good-looking man, isn't he? He's got it made. His girlfriend is extremely beautiful. Those two, when they're in the picture together, they look like... I wrote it on a face picture of them on Facebook. They mm. look like a celebrity couple. No, definitely. I'm sure... They, they probably haven't thought about it yet, but their children would be beautiful children. I don't think they would. Really? Have you not seen that? A few times. What, what about Posh and Beck? Two rights usually make a wrong on that, on that front. But they're, Posh and Beck's kids are pretty. They've done alright. Are they? Yeah. Have they not just had plastic surgery? Probably. Yeah. They live they've in been, LA. They've been adjusted. So, you know, if you're not happy, change it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's not my <laughs> advice. Adjusted? <laughs> <laughs> You know, if it comes out and you're like, oh god, who's that? Let's get it adjusted. <laughs> you live in a warped world. <laughs> Sorry. I'm just all high after coming back from America. Yeah? It was brilliant, wasn't it? It was brilliant. The jet lag is kicking my ass, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> so, a two hour sleep the night before last, that was good. That was good. Yeah. It was a bit of a. It's a bit of a wound of getting off the plane going straight to a gig. Yeah. Only to find out we could have been at the gig two hours later than planned. Because uh, our other bandmate, Kev, just likes to get places early and have a cup of tea, doesn't he? Mm. Which is fine, but not when you've had a, a 12 hour flight and no sleep. I think, yeah, I mean, we're ratty. We're a bit grumpy. Yeah. Kev, do we really have to be here right now? Oh. Let me check the contract. Oh, Definitely not. No. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. a wedding. They've only just started the meal. Oh. Yeah. They've got speeches yet. Anyway, Connor Snow. Connor um, Snow. We met him at Vocalize You. Uh, we met him at the Winter Retreat back in February, mm, actually. Mm. Um, and he is really cool, this guy. Like, like we said, he's, he's a handsome chap. He's very talented. He plays guitar. Uh, he writes songs. Um, he lives in Hawaii. Um, we met, we saw him again at the Artist Intensive in LA just last week, um, which he came to a few of our classes, didn't he? Yep. And then we worked on his songs with him. Um, and again, he was just screaming out talent all the time. Mm. And that song is called Lingerie. 
um, and uh, it's going to be up on SoundCloud, so we will post a link to that in the show notes, and you get to the show notes from thenakedvocalist.com forward slash podcast forward slash 1818, as we are on episode 18. We are. Great guy, one for the future. What, so what did you reckon to the artist intensive then? What was your best bit? It's all right. It do, isn't it? Mm. People. I mean, we can't rant on about it now because literally this podcast is it, the longest. It's, this is the record length of show. But um, for me, <laughs> nutshell. Oh, so many. So many, so many nutshells. It's got to be the people. And that, that's just such a generic thing to say, but it, everyone is in it for the same thing and what is produced from everyone having a great attitude and and focus and the same cause is just incredible. I'm sure people have been to things in their life before, not just a artist intensive in LA, anything in life where you're thrown into a bubble with people that are just brilliant for a week. It's you get a lot done, don't you? get you? a lot done, yeah. What about you? Same as that, man. The environment is unbelievable. The people they get to... Uh to give classes, workshops, is unbelievable. I've just been describing it to some of my students over the past yeah. day or two. And when you can reel off the um, the diversity of education you can get there from BV classes, even how to take a picture, even how to pose, mm. even how to be on stage, um, songwriting, vocal technique, style, the, the whole lot of business... How to put on a concert, everything. Insane. Um, it was. It's pretty mad. So we'll probably rattle on about that at some other point, and um, try our best to get some of you to come with us, because it really is life changer. It's a life changer. Can't even can't even explain how amazingly um, worth it, it is. Because we nearly didn't make it this year, did we? And um, for whatever reason. Uh, and I thought about that when I was there, thinking, God, imagine if, imagine if it didn't come. It just seems like the things that I wouldn't have with me for the rest of my life now because I didn't go. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Miss, anyway, don't want to miss out on that. Anywho. So there's that. We'll talk about that another time. But while we were there, we recorded a couple of podcasts with Dr. Ingo Tietze. Can we have a cheer? Hey. Who's that? Who's that other? Is that the... Hello. Um, <laughs> we, had a, we had a chat with Dr. Ingo Tietze, world leading, universe leading... Um, voice scientist who did provide us with some amazing education that guy is so great um, and also one of our friends Ian Davidson um, who is a, a very experienced coach from uh, Lippa in Liverpool and he's shortly going to be working at Barcelona I have a feeling that won't be the last podcast for me no we'll be getting him on again as we all got on very well at the uh, artist intensive so there's that and then we also need to remind you guys of the Joshua Alamu book competition um, of which if you go to the show notes again there is a link to um, enter your email to uh, enter that competition that's to win a free copy of his book Mad About Vocal Style, which closes, the competition closes on August the 8th. Friday the 8th. 2015. Lines close. 2014. What the heck? Where are you? Um, so lines close then. So please go on Facebook and or the um, show notes and enter that competition to win his wonderful book. Worth it. Worth it big time. So um, Let's get into we- this monster of an episode. Talk- who we got then? Chip Jenkins. She sounds American. American name. 
English girl. So. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> this is about confidence. It might give you the confidence as juge. Enjoy. Warm caramel. So, here we are in sunny, sunny Brighton with the wonderful Chip Jenkins. Now, to kick off, Chip has an extensive history in music and in confidence and in people and in life. It kicked off in France at the age of 18 when she began busking. Um, I'll let you talk a little bit more about that in a second, Chip. But then from there, toured the world with multiple bands, including your own jazz band. You've been a lecturer of voice at some of the country's finest colleges. You've got an extensive history in NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming, and you've got your own production company, Singing School. You're currently writing a series of ebooks. What don't you do? <laughs> you, I'd like to say you also live in a, in a lovely flat that looks like it should be in like a Hugh Grant movie. <laughs> You're right. Doesn't it? It does, yeah. Like so, yeah. so beautifully British. <laughs> thank it? you, thank you. Well, what I never do is the washing up because I never have time. Uh, so that's pretty much the do only thing. Do you pay thing. someone to do that? No, I don't. No, I don't. I'm just naughty and I just... You just throw, it, throw it away. <laughs> <laughs> just work with paper plates. <laughs> Yeah, that's the way to do it. Yeah, that's right. So that's what happens. But yeah, um, I love everything to do with singing and helping singers and working with them um, using kind of real world experience to actually help them with their on stage confidence. And uh, in answer to a couple of questions that we've got coming up later on, um, overall, there are three people today who've asked incredibly relevant questions to everybody and the main thing with on-stage confidence is getting clarity on what confidence is to you because confidence to me might mean one thing in fact why don't I ask Chris and Steve right now in one word without being able to use the word confidence what would confidence be to you on stage Wow. Oh, blimey. Well, I have thought about this in the past because I, I definitely glean confidence from the knowledge and ability to use my voice. Mm-hmm. As I was um, petrified of high notes mm-hmm. and had really bad experience with them as a young performer, at which point I was being videoed in these performances. So I, I would have a, a, it would forever live on DVD, my <laughs> screw up. Oh, no. in the cupboard and other people bought the DVDs and like, oh yeah people can watch me screw up over and over again if they want to <laughs> and they probably have um, or at least I saw it that way Yeah. so yeah you would build yourself up for a big show over six months and then screw it on the night did that so many times that I'm sure that that actually led to a massive loss of confidence in my singing mm-hmm. but then the introduction of technique um, reinvigorated my confidence and then I can go out there and do it. So I, it really, that pinpointed it for me, mm. for sure. So that's that's where I come from. So your confidence word would be technique. Is I that... think so, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And what about you? Do you know, it sounds crazy, but I'm, I'm exact, kind of exactly the same. But it's based on, I've always thought about this and it's based on my sports background. I know we, we've already spoken about this, Chip. But when I was growing up, I, you know, I, the, the football player thing was quite prevalent in my life I thought it was going to happen and with that in mind you know I spent a lot of time 
training and there's a process and it was logical and I knew I had the understanding that I was going to execute whatever it was I was going to execute. It's very much a sporting process. And um, and that goes along with what I read recently about the, the self-efficacy, the Banjora stuff, which is exactly that. It's the understanding that you're going to execute whatever it is you want to execute and the effect that that has on your actions mm-hmm. and choices in life and, all, mm-hmm. and everything everything goes around together. And that is so, um, that resonates with me so much. And in terms of singing, it's exactly the same like Chris said. If I'm on stage and I know it's, a, it's an environment that I know that I'm comfortable with and, I, and I've got the tools to do the, whatever it is I'm going to do, mm-hmm. then happy days. And I'll tell you one other thing, sorry, this is about you, Chet, not no, about... No, it's, it's fascinating. But, 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 um, but the... the the last time I think I was nervous was when I sang a first dance with my best friend, um, or one of my best man at his wedding. And I felt, I, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe what was overcoming me. Uh, obviously, we sang at weddings so many in the past and 10 years. first dances. It's been with the first dances. But mm. I was a, like, my, my jaw was locking up. Mm-hmm. I had just, it was just, a, I couldn't control it. I was getting a bit emotional. And I put that down to, it was just like a, the experience that I hadn't, practiced enough before mm-hmm. and practiced those emotions overcoming me mm-hmm. um similar kind of thing so in terms of that then we're, we're... Uh, well you've just absolutely hit the nail on the head there because what a lot of nlp is to do with is actually recognizing that on stage confidence oh let me rephrase that on stage nerves they're not logical it's something that can have an effect physically on your performance but the root of it is an emotional feeling so what I've done and we talked about this earlier that you guys have done a lot of the SLS kind of method of teaching I've looked at vocal anatomy I kind of look at recording techniques with people but all of those issues aren't necessarily going to help someone if the foundation of their on-stage confidence isn't there Because if they're feeling a million different emotions, and I know in your other amazing podcast you've mentioned about going to see a vocal coach, and I think maybe one or the other of you was talking about the fact that it's a nerve-wracking experience, even just to go in a room to sing, you feel like it's even more scary than taking your clothes off and becoming a naked vocalist. (laughs) (laughs) But basically, it's the scariest thing in the world to to sing in front of other people, because... um, Yes, singing is a physical thing, and there are muscles that are working, there's cartilage that's working, there's ligaments, there's all this kind of thing. But you can have all the kind of knowledge of muscles and how they work if you get that strong emotion, which is a sort of fight-or-flight impulse, which actually happens in split seconds. It's, it's literally... It washes your body full of um, cortisol and there's I've got some stuff about fight or flight that we might get into later but it's milliseconds where your whole body just goes into that fear Mm. so um, I don't know is it maybe worth talking about one of the really great questions that we got in because it kind of might be relevant absolutely I think so yeah Yeah. great yeah yeah this question is from um, Jenea and uh she, she basically sounded out on Facebook when we put out the post. She said, self-doubt in actually be able, being able to sing. She would like to look at how to combat that. Um, the ability to accept mistakes actually happen. 
and not let them affect you negatively. And also on the back end of that, you know, how can you stop your voice trembling? That would be nice. Mm-hmm. And she, you know, she did go on to elaborate that that um, amongst all this fear, it's not that she tends to get the fear walking out on stage, but she just has what she describes as a mental block about a particular line or segment in the song, mm-hmm. um, where it just routinely won't come out right. Mm-hmm. That that's kind of where she's at. So, what would you say about that, Chip? Well, my note that I always used to get terrified of. There's a high note in um, "Ain't Nobody" by mm. Shaka Khan, mm. and I totally. First of all, Janaya, thank you so much because that is a totally relevant, brilliant question you've asked there. Um, so, I I do know what you're talking about. I do understand that I always used to get to that. Bit and it was in the middle eight. It was the last. It's an E flat, isn't it? Yeah. I know the one. Oh, <laughs> heavens above! I used to literally just. And again, physically, I'll talk about the physical element first. Is I, as I was approaching that line, I wouldn't be able to think of anything other than that note. Almost to the point, it was like approaching a cliff edge and knowing that I was going to fall off from the high height of this horrible high note. So I do appreciate what you're talking about. If I talk about how you can kind of begin to deal with that in sort of neuro-linguistic programming terms, in our brain we have neurons and how I describe this to my singing students is that when you watch those Nurofen adverts, oh, are we allowed to use product names? Oh yeah, there are other um, yes. uh, products uh, yes. available. But, and you can choose which one you like. That's but, probably the best though, yes. isn't it, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's not... But basically, when you look at Nurofen adverts, it says Nurofen targets the pain and it goes to this little bit of your brain. And if you actually look on YouTube and you um, have a look for neural pathways, there are some amazing videos that show you there are synapses in the brain. And when you know that something causes fear in you, once you've felt that fear, you've established a neural pathway to feel fear about that note. So if you keep reiterating the fear to yourself, then that neural pathway will become very deeply engraved in your brain, like a train track. When you first lay the train tracks down, um, it might take a little while, or a few trains going over that track to kind of like settle those rails down into the ground. Mm -hmm. But after a hundred times that a train goes over those train tracks, it becomes more of a, a pathway, if you like, um, so, basically, in answer to your question, you're trapped right now in a neural loop. So, you mentioned in your question you have self-doubt in actually being able to sing. Um, now, I am sure if you're going for singing lessons with Chris, I'm sure you're actually a very, very good singer. And you're already on this amazing quest to improve yourself. So, what happens when you're trying to better yourself is you then become aware of the bits that you want to perfect. So then you start to obsess about the one note that doesn't kind of work so well. Then you start to build your neural pathway that that note is going to be a problem, in inverted commas. And then you start freaking yourself out because you've started kind of getting caught in what's called a neural loop. So one of the ways to break that is to start actually focusing, rather than focusing on what you don't want to happen when you do the high note, focus on what it is that you do want to have happen. 
Um, so when I would get to that scary note at the end of the end of the middle eight, and mm -hmm. I can still remember mm -hmm. it now, at the end of Ain't Nobody, I would, on purpose, because I've done a bit of NLP, I would tell myself my stomach feels like warm caramel. And that means something very specific to me because I worked out that if I'm just cosy and at home on my own in the sofa and I'm just chilling, my stomach feels like warm caramel. I'm not expecting everyone to kind of necessarily know what that's like. That's very personal for me. So I would actually tell myself that I'd be going warm caramel, warm caramel as I was approaching that note. And as I did that, I managed to hit the note because I was actually reprogramming my brain to get used to thinking of warm caramel as I approached the bit that used to be scary. Also, there will be something coming up in one of our videos. It's called the convincer exercise, which we can't really get into right now in depth, but there is a very useful exercise, as I say, called the convincer exercise. So maybe look out for that. And also we'll be talking a bit about the physical implications of fight or flight, because it is true that the job of the larynx when you're in fight or flight mode is actually to constrict and make sure that if you are running away from a tiger, you're not going to swallow a fly. It's the last thing you want to happen, that isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. That would be bad. That would be... Sounds quite slapstick for cavemen, <laughs> doesn't it? Sounds like I would write that in a silly film, but it probably did happen. Because yeah. <laughs> it would be... <laughs> Dead. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Exactly, you've got more more big things to worry about. Yeah. So when you've got like an emergency situation, obviously you get your your larynx will constrict to protect your airways because you've got to be able to breathe and get as much oxygen in as possible to either fight or be in flight and run away, run mm. the hell out of there. So the larynx unfortunately needs to be flexible or the cartilage in the larynx needs to be flexible when you're about to do a high note. So if your larynx is constricting, as in tightening, then you're not going to be in such a flexible, lovely, bendy space. And you may find that when you're practicing, you're in that focused state of being flexible and bendy in the laryngeal areas. Mm. <laughs> Technical term. Mm. But um, uh, when you're actually on stage it's quite difficult to think of that because your, I think it's called the lizard brain. There's a bit of your brain that is as old as lizards and scientists call it the lizard brain. And it is the brain that is there to protect us. There's a posh name for it. I think it's called the hypothalamus. Yeah, yeah that's the primal part of the brain. Yes. Yeah. I think the hypothalamus so is it's just the, the unconscious brain. functions like exactly. fight or flight. And stuff. Exactly. Yeah. So the hypothalamus kind of pumps out all of this um, warning to your whole body that there's a danger. And that's through hormones, right? Yeah, mm. that's it. In fact, we'll get into that a little bit later about the sort of the types of hormones. Right. So what people commonly describe is, are things such as the jelly leg syndrome. Your legs go to jelly. Um, you start scanning the room like crazy to look for the nearest exit because you're hypothalamus doesn't know the difference between a tiger and an audience. Okay. Mm. I know it sounds really no, weird. True. But mm. it's kind of, immediately, if you're about to do a gig and go on stage and you've got some lovely friends who've turned up to your gig and you're delighted to see them, 
you'll be jumping around because your hypothalamus is telling you don't sit still because you might need to either fight or flight any second now. So it's very difficult to talk to people pre-gig. So that's another thing. Mm. I don't know if that would help Janaea maybe to actually have some downtime where she does perhaps slow down her breathing rate. Um, you also often need to go to the toilet, as in, mm. because the reason why the body's doing that is gross. I know. <laughs> so, so, I know. So, so true. Yeah. Just waiting in the wings thinking, damn, yeah. damn you, why now? <laughs> But amazingly, if you can fight that little, little, little moment, you're fine by the end, aren't you? It's like, how did that even happen? Yeah. Just from doing a bit of singing, it's yeah. gone. Yeah. Um, but why so is that then? Why, why your because body... your body needs to dump everything that it's carrying on board so that you can run quick. faster. Sure. So if you've got any extra bits and pieces in there, in the system, then your body needs to get rid of it. I think that would put the tiger off as well. It would, and the tiger probably. would I think I'd, you'd probably get away with that, actually, like, not eating you. <laughs> Just soiled yourself. This is awful. But, no, <laughs> but going, back to, going back to one of the points here, too, if we could, because yes. if somebody's thinking, okay, well, I'm going to give this a bash. Yes. I'm going to think about something that is positive in that situation that, that will hopefully help this change. We go, for the, go to a gig and... and um, I know I'm nervous. Okay, let me think about something. How can I attach a positive emotion to this? Maybe think about something for a little time and then it passes. Thought about it for two minutes and it's gone. Mm-hmm. I'm still nervous. Mm-hmm. What's the, is there a process there that is, you can yeah. really ingrain that positive thought? Absolutely. It is something that, okay, I'm going to use the analogy that your onstage confidence is like a muscle. So if you, if you don't use your muscles, they become atrophied. And they become weakened and some, sometimes you just kind of can chicken out of building up that muscle because you think, oh, it's not working. And I agree. I actually, I don't like woo-woo stuff. Mm-hmm. The thing that I love about NLP is it's actually very scientific um, because woo-woo stuff mm-hmm. personally to me isn't strong enough to actually combat something that is a very real problem for people absolutely it's too like oh yeah i'm just gonna light an incense man and i'm just gonna think (laughs) lovely thoughts that to me Mm. isn't strong enough and it isn't powerful enough to help people who are genuinely suffering i i've had singing students who are absolutely fantastic musicians and i use that in with the ultimate respect for their musicianship and their singer talent and all the things that go towards making them good I've also found that sometimes some of the best singers that I have have perfectionitis and we were talking about this a little bit earlier but coming back to the muscle analogy because I've rambled please excuse me it's a big old big old topic it's amazing love the passion yeah yeah and right the muscle analogy if you have you guys go to the gym, so you know more about this than me, but I'm going to pick a random muscle and pretend I know something. Mm. I'm going to say you are working on your latissimus dorsi muscles and your gym instructor will give you some very specific exercises to work those muscles. So there are some tried and tested methods and if you want to strengthen your on-stage confidence muscles... There are some very tried and tested methods such as phrasing things in a certain way. And we're going to get onto this later, but the subconscious mind doesn't understand the past or the future. So if you want to tell yourself, 
a positive emotion. If you say, next Wednesday I will feel great about my on-stage confidence, the subconscious goes, I don't get it. I don't understand what next Wednesday is. The subconscious is always in the present moment. So it's like in the now, now, mm-hmm. now. So when you phrase, when you have a phrase that would be what we call an anchor phrase, that phrase has to be in the present tense, which is why mine was, my stomach is, present tense, warm caramel. So it's a very simple thing, mm. but it literally very quickly um, gets the message across to my subconscious. Because my subconscious is the bit that breathes me, blinks me, I don't know, it, it does loads of stuff. And the guy who I trained with, who is phenomenal, he's called Christopher Howard. He only teaches in Bali now, unfortunately, at the moment. But mm. yeah, he's amazing. He used to come to London a lot more. He said that, imagine for a second, if you tried to tell your subconscious to beat your heart for you, to pump blood around your body, um, to hold all your Mm. muscles together, there's no way your conscious brain would be able to handle all of those jobs. But your subconscious is doing that all the time. So once you actually harness that power of the subconscious... It apparently, I think scientists say it's something like 95% of our power as human beings comes from the subconscious, and we're only using 5% of our potential. So that's a huge amount of undiscovered potential. So really, yes, it might sound a bit far-fetched and a bit woo-woo, mm-hmm. but I'm going to share a story about how I got interested in this whole subject in the first place, was um, an incredibly inspirational singing student who I used to teach and he actually taught me more than I taught him because when we were doing exercises I used to teach ACM where Chris teaches and I used to do a lot of singing exercises with singing students so I was kind of by then I think I'd been teaching for about seven years and I was quite used to people doing an exercise and maybe making a little mistake and then saying things like I did that wrong, or I messed up, or oops, that that went out of my control, or having what I call negative self-talk. And the extraordinary thing with this particular gentleman is he had a complete absence of negative self-talk. He was a a very talented singer, but he said, I'm actually sort of a beginner, but he he was way beyond being a beginner. And he never, ever criticised himself if he tried a new... Thing out and it went a bit wonky he never told himself off so after one lesson I was like how do you do that thing like how do you how do you manage your own emotions to that degree that you're not berating yourself and he said well I studied hypnosis at the same school as Paul McKenna in Covent Garden and because I was really interested I was like wow that's amazing you know, can I go and learn about it? And I I didn't end up going to that school, but um, I was really fascinated. And as I got to know him a little bit better, he actually ended up telling me, and I've asked him if he's all right with me telling this, um, and he's very generously volunteered to let me share this with you guys. He actually told me after I'd known him for some time that he had had a vasectomy under hypnosis with no anaesthetic 
That makes me feel very strange. <laughs> you okay? <coughs> yeah. Just fine. Carry on. Taking a moment. Yeah. A I mean that. That is mind mind blowing. The power and of hypnosis. And how is was crazy. it? How how was it? I mean, well, there's saying? an article that's actually in the Independent newspaper, wow. and he went in and, and he had to actually get a surgeon to agree to let him do this because any other normal surgeon would say you are insane mm. but what he did is he gave himself a very powerful instruction to go under hypnosis and apparently I haven't gone down this far but apparently under hypnosis there are people in the world who um, can put needles through their hand and there's no bleeding they can get a brick and break the brick with their hand and I'm not talking about like you know muscle guys like you but I as in sort of you know normal people um and so there was this whole thing where he was telling me this and I I was absolutely dumbfounded because I thought my gosh if you could harness the power of your subconscious mind when you're on stage so for example Jenea if you could harness that power so that you are in such a state of kind of calm and serenity when you approach that high note, would you not literally live life and your singing life in a completely different way? Because mm. the, the subconscious controls the response for fight or flight. Exactly. So if you're in control of that, you're in control of the hormonal response. Exactly. And then the symptom of that. Exactly. True. Mm. And it does take practice. In answer to Steve mm. saying, well, you know, how do you, do you just sort of get, tell yourself something? Mm. You you do need to build up practice of being in that sort of serene place, and there are um, just wanted to share with you guys that there are some incredibly fantastic apps on like the iPhone mm-hmm. um, at the moment. One of them, there's a whole series. I've got all of them, and I rave about them to my students. Um, if you look up in the App Store, I can be anything. You've got the, it's like an app that has like a sort of, it looks like a kind of a flower or something as the logo and they're all different colours, but they're all free. And it's a qualified hypnotherapist using hypnotic language. There's one for, I can be motivated, I can be confident, I can be a good student. There's literally an app for that for everything. Awesome. Yeah. So that's, that's free. So if you want to find go and out, check it yeah. out mm, for yeah. sure, and you know to look at the to to, to just bring up the woo woo stuff again, mm-hmm. right? I'm a very black and white person. Mm-hmm. I don't deal with visualization mm-hmm. very well. Mm-hmm. I really love just instruction or something like that. That works mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. However, when I think about what you say about you know visualization and how it works now and how the subconscious deals with certain situations, mm-hmm. the subconscious is responsible for your dreams, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that is all weird visual yes. stuff. None of it, yes. some of it doesn't make any sense. Yep. Some of it's flying, some of it's not real. Mm-hmm. But it is your mind's way of dealing with mm-hmm. issues or expressing yourself mm-hmm. anyway, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So when you look at that, although I'm not a fan of visualization, mm-hmm. I can see how that links well to controlling the subconscious because your dreams express that all the time. Yeah, and what you've just said is also, unbeknownst to you, brilliant because there are three main learning styles and when you're using hypnotic language with a person you predominantly your the way you represent your inner world to yourself 
and it's different for different people, there are different uh, proportions, you're either going to be visual, which is obviously seeing things, kinesthetic, which is touch, feel, emotions, or auditory digital. And auditory digital, like to com people, like to comprehend their world through words. So you've just said you're not a big fan of visualising, so that's probably not your predominant learning style, but you are a big fan of words and you like things to be black and white because um, auditory digital people like things like spreadsheets and they like things to be kind of ordered and perhaps more on the kind of logical side of things. Yeah. So, for example, if I were to work with someone who was having real confidence issues and they were auditory digital, it wouldn't necessarily help them if I said, picture in your mind. Mm. Yeah. A mm. spring meadow with lots of lovely flowers. They'd be going, True. I'm not buying this. This is rubbish. Absolutely. Tried it as well. And you know what? The, the logical way of thinking about things... In, in a way of learning and controlling, mm -hmm. when something is illogical, it mm -hmm. makes me furious. Yes, yes. And ne nerves are completely illogical. Yes. I can't make any sense of them, and yes. hence I'm furious about them. You've also just hit another nail. You, you guys are amazing. Basically, you've hit another nail on the head, which was what I was going to say. is, In terms of, we were talking about emotions, um, there are some disempowering emotions... Uh, one of the disempowering emotions might be guilt or shame or it's those kind of emotions that make you um, deflated, mm -hmm. for example. So if you're thinking, oh, I'm never going to nail that high note and then I'm going to get it wrong and then, it's, and then people are going to laugh at me and then they're going to think I'm a rubbish singer, that's kind of more akin to shame. Now, there is an, uh, an emotion or an anchor, if you like, that we can turn that into. And it's an emotion that most people would think is a negative one, but it's actually very healthy, and that is anger. Because anger, even if you're feeling something is a challenge, if you go, oh, I'm so going to nail that next time, that will actually give you the forward momentum to make a positive change. Awesome. So anger is actually an empowering emotion because it gets you up. So when you're saying, oh, it makes me furious, mm -hmm. that's very healthy and very good. And I think I can really see the trend in students who get hacked off like that. Oh. Who come back, you know, come back and go, I've done it. Wow. You know, I got so hacked off last time and they come back, I've done it. And maybe that's a common trait. I see that in people. Mm. Able to really take the ball by the horns mm -hmm. and use that emotion to mm. drive a positive response. Mm -hmm. How interesting. Yeah, well, listen, I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of information there. Um, a lot of value, blindly. Oh, yeah, I'm just, I'm sat here just totally absorbed in everything you're saying, Chip. But let's move on to the next question. Um, I think that'd be valuable. I mean, obviously, I, th I think a lot of these questions are going to uh, be linked in mm. some way. So this next one wants to remain anonymous. So that's absolutely fine. Um, we're going to refer to her as... Amazing vocal tutor. Amazing vocal tutor. Now, dear naked vocalists, I love the Friday question topic, but did not have the confidence to leave a comment on the Facebook post. I have no problem singing in front of hundreds of people when teaching. Um, however, I never perform anymore as I can't imagine that anyone will want to be entertained or by or listen to me. Also, I imagine that any audience would be making judgmental comments 
brackets, ouch, that was a bit flat, etc. Um, I am able to help students get over this, but I can't do it for myself. Any tips? Many thanks for all your posts and the great article in the Icing magazine. Hmm. So, we're talking about able to help students, but personally, it's a big deal. Hmm. Uh, you guys both know this was actually my favourite question um, because uh, it proves that the amazing vocal tutor in question is obviously really focused constantly on this analysis of how she can help her students. And there's this term which loads of people bandy about called analysis paralysis. Um, my version of that is perfectionitis. So, for example, the way of thinking that this person has got used to is always thinking, uh, what's the one little tweak that I could give that student to help them? So it's kind of like constantly shining a laser beam on the little problems in that student's performance. And so that tutor has begun to develop this ability to always think of singing as being a job where that person is on the lookout for the little problem that can get fixed. And unfortunately, it's now slightly um, grown over like Ivy into her own singing, and that's not a desired effect. And I would wager that actually that person would be amazing on stage if they could learn a new way of thinking about being on stage, where it's not constantly having this micro, uh, microscope, I was going to say microphone, not constantly having this microscope on what's going wrong. So um, I, my first tip would be, it's very basic, writing out a list of what would the job specification of a really, really amazingly inspiring performer be. So it's actually re-clarifying what the goal of a singer should be on stage. And we were talking a little bit about this earlier on. Um, singers and musicians in the past used to have the role in society of bringing people together at times of celebration, times of sorrow. So you would have a singer at your wedding, like we mentioned, or a singer at a funeral, or if you went out to watch... A play used to have the orchestra musicians in the pit intensifying the emotions. So you used to have this job role of either bringing people together or getting people to dance or... Um, hiding emotions. Hiding emotions mm. in general. And the audience, this is a little quote that I kind of um, nicked a bit, but bear with me. Um, the audience don't care how you feel. They care how you make them feel. And I'll say that again, because when I first made it up, I was like, <laughs> okay. the audience don't care how you, the performer, feels. They care how you make them feel. And I'll give you an example. If you pay 150 quid to go and see Beyonce at the O2, you are thinking, oh, I can't wait to be there with my friends and do that thing with my hand and go... All the single ladies, all the single ladies, and do that thing that is going to be really good fun to do. Because really, all you want to do as an audience member is to go along, release your inhibitions, sing, have fun, dance, smile at your friends and go, I love this song. So 
Not for one split second would you think, I wonder if Beyonce has had a bad day. Mm. Or I wonder if she's had an argument with Jay-Z. Or maybe her costume's really tight and she can't breathe properly. You never think that. So in answer to this amazing vocal tutor who is obviously very dedicated to her students, I would suggest start thinking, do 10 bullet points. What could be enjoyable for an audience and how can you build that into your show? Because they really don't care two hoots about whether a note is flat. Mm. They are far too busy going, oh, I'm really liking this. Oh, she got it. Also, the other thing is give your audience a job to do. Audiences love it when you give them a job to do. Can I tell one more story? Go on, go for it. I'm like literally lily pad hopping from story to story, but it's flowing, man. (laughs) (laughs) The other story was we had a jazz gig and it was for a Masonic do in London. Mm. And the average age of the audience was about 60 or 70 years old. And there were some important dignitaries there. And everyone was wearing sort of Gucci and Chanel. And it, people were walking in two by two on each other's arms. And there was this um, host who was saying, the right honourable lord and lady, da, 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 da. And we were backstage eating food thinking, oh my gosh, how on earth are we going to entertain this audience? <laughs> we were all chatting about it. And I said, okay, we got to come up with a plan. So the plan that we came up with was that we would come on stage and we wouldn't play a note until we'd got the audience to click their fingers. So we, And it took bottle to do. It did take bottle to do because we were kind of like, we all had our hearts beating in our chest. So we came on stage and the, it was myself, a bass player and a keyboard player, phenomenal musicians. And we all very bravely went, two, three, and we just kept doing that until suddenly it was like kindling. Somebody in the front kind of did the click and then turned around and looked to their friends and went, ooh, what's this about? And then we waited until the whole room was doing it. And then we'd got them. We absolutely had them from that split second onwards. If we'd have played, they'd have probably not been loosened up. Right. I can totally totally, um, associate with that. Well, (laughs) we're going to say steal. (laughs) Definitely. I'm not stealing anything. What are you? Oh, sorry, mate. I just thought I knew you. Get out. No, no, because because I'm, I like the first part of your answer there was about analysing what the, the job is, so that I guess it, it, again it just puts in the picture. Okay, this is my job. The audience wants something. I need to give it to them, and it's in assessing that that situation. Then you moved on to the things that the I guess the things you can do to promote the relationship between you and the audience, mm-hmm. right? And and in, in fact, things. That will that you can do that will change the environment. It's going to change the atmosphere. And let's face it: if one of the things that our anonymous um, friend here is talking about, which is the audience making judgmental comments, if you can flip that into them feeling good about the experience that you're in, just by doing one thing right at the start of the gig, mm-hmm. that's such an important thing. And I can relate to that because if we're out on stage, be brutally honest, most gigs. 
hit the track or if the band are playing it's like okay they're just about to start we're going to sing the same songs every night mm-hmm. and I, we do it all the time don't we we're like okay here we go again or sometimes it's like that it's like okay my girl <laughs> coming in my girl's coming in turn around face to the crowd off we go you mentioned about the clipping thing that you, the clicking thing you were doing that was a different thing that, that provoked the crowd at the end of the first song I know for sure if I step out from the, from the stage and like either put my fist in the air like go, yeah, or create some sort of energy right from that second, no matter how I'm feeling, the crowd responds to that mm-hmm. and it changes the dynamic of the whole night. Mm-hmm. And it's so obvious, but if all, we're, I guess if all we're scared about is what is the audience thinking, and we can change that by just doing something at the start, which you said takes a bit of bottle sometimes. Mm. If we've got a few of these tricks, then also that's something that's really going to help that situation, isn't it, I guess? Yeah, absolutely, totally. And I think this, is, this question is weirdly a testament to how good a vocal coach that person is. Right. Because being a vocal coach and being a performer are two different um, bits of the brain, really. Because analysing and helping someone, as we all know, like when you're warming up, warming up is not singing and singing's not warming up. They're two different things. So this is somebody who is trying to put themselves at the service of other people. Um, But when we're doing a performance, maybe give give that audience a job to do, to participate. Um, Can I slightly go on to my law of thirds theory, which is a sort of theory that I've got but to develop, or will we be going sideways? Oh, well, well we, that will be relevant to the next question as well, won't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. That would be so, should we jump onto that question then now, and then yeah, kind of cover both? That. Take considering both. But this is from um, this is from James. Uh, this was posted on Facebook. He says, "How about what to do when a crowd is either not engaged in the music, or when a crowd is responding negatively to the music or performance? For instance." If you have a rock band but somehow get booked for a reggae night, in brackets, <laughs> actually happened to me once. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Oh. So, so for for maybe for any reason, if the crowd isn't on board with you, there's a barrier between that, you guys. That is a yeah. I mean, that could be a mood barrier, but in in this case, either a mood or a style or a taste or anything in the way of you and the crowd connecting. What would you say to James? Yeah. Well. James, I would firstly save up loads of tomatoes in your fridge, make sure they get really rotten, and if the audience yeah, yeah. Back to the old days. Throw tomatoes at them. Job done. Okay. Podcast over. Take some part some styles round with you. (laughs) Just in case. It's like medieval gigs. It is, it is, it is. (laughs) What you people like hip hop, we're gonna do medieval music. Um, Well, no, all Joking aside, this um, there is this little concept that I've developed to work on with students, and it's called the law of thirds. And a really good performer will be concentrating on all three elements of the law of thirds. Now, you can't see this, but on my screen I've got a circle, and it's divided into three. And in one of the thirds is yourself. So when you go on stage, of course, you have to concentrate on your high notes, your lyrics, your mic stand, is it angled right for you, Um, a myriad of different things, you know, like remembering the structure of the song. And a really beginner 
performer will only be able, will only have the capacity to think of themselves. They won't actually be able to extend themselves beyond that during the performance. And then you get um, a performer who's a bit more experienced and they start to think of their bit of the job that they have to do and maybe the band. So they start thinking of the team with them. And then what you get, um, it isn't good or bad, it just is. Then what you have is you might have a band who are sort of sharing this private joke amongst themselves, but they're not acknowledging that there's an audience there. So that kind of... I have seen that before. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of times. Yeah. And it's, it's only due to not being clear on what your job specification as a performer needs to be. So you might have the kind of thing where it's quite a self-indulgent, long rock god guitar solo and then you know but you're not actually acknowledging and piercing what's called the invisible fourth wall i don't know if everybody's familiar with what i'm not not. oh it's a lovely oh it's lovely right Uh. in the old days when they had plays you used to have the back wall of the theater uh, sorry the back wall of the stage the wings which would be the other two walls at the side And when you were acting, you used to kind of act on stage, but ignore that there was an audience there. And then you had pop stars like Elvis Presley and things like that. And they would actually do what's called piercing the fourth wall. So they would actually look at certain audience members uh, and hold eye contact with people, which worked really well because, of course, Elvis Presley was a god and he was a really handsome man. So he had an incredible voice and a fantastic physique, and he used to pick people out of the audience and look at them. There's even footage of him sometimes getting the giggles with individual audience members. So he would just, like, pick somebody in the audience and he would crack up. And so people sort of went, oh, my gosh, he's like a human just like us. Of course, he happened to be a supremely talented and good-looking human, but he's like us. So a really, really, really professional, super-duper whizzy example of this, and literally within the first 10 seconds, all of those thirds are covered. And tonight, we are all rock stars. I want you to forget about your worries. Forget about your troubles. I want you to get lost in this music tonight. Tonight. I want to make beautiful memories be free tonight. Are y'all ready to have a good time? Bless you, baby. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready to be entertained? Single ladies, put your hands together. Yeah, so Beyonce has literally within seconds she's addressed all of those thirds um so she's given the audience a kind of a job to do which is to scream and go mental and she's leaving them enough space to do that she's actually not going hello good evening ladies and gentlemen she's not talking though she's not filling the space she's bravely and courageously not doing that giving orders exactly so she's like Tonight, I want you to have fun. I want you to escape your normal life. So she's kind of very clearly telling the audience, this is your job, okay? 
So in the third of the audience, in answer to our question, which was about what to do when a crowd is either not engaged in the music or when a crowd is responding negatively, my suggestion would be give them a positive response that they can kind of take you up on. Give them a job to do that would be a positive thing. If they are expecting a different kind of music, I appreciate that that may be the case. If you're playing at a music festival, you have no control over that. Mm. But always remember that actually there's a, there's a little kind of um, phrase that change, was a game changer for me, is everybody's favourite radio station is W-I-I-F-N. Go on then. Go on then. It is killing me. Go on. What's in it for me? Right. Sure. That is an audience's favourite, favourite thing. They leave their houses and some people might be saying, I really don't want to go out to a gig tonight. They might prefer to sit in at home and chill out. So you've got to make it worth that audience's while by giving them some kind of job to do so that they go... Oh, this is fun, isn't it? Mm. Whatever the reason. Whatever the reason. Yeah, they, 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 they're, they're getting something from it. Exactly. I think that's, yeah, that's really interesting, Chip, actually, because I think it, it, it all depends on the actual gig, where it is and, and what it is, I think, uh, to how you'd approach it, I guess, wouldn't it? But you, again, you're talking more a little bit of, of kind of going around the, around the back a little bit and being mm. a bit manipulative mm. with what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Would it work in the same way but just being a bit more blunt about it and being like, <laughs> I, I, could, I, could, I think we've probably done this in the past, you know, like, right guys, you know, we, we, you know, we're not here, we know we, we're not your bag, mm-hmm. but um, this is what we're going to do, we're going we're gonna to still have a crack in art, we're going to kick off and do certain things that almost, as you said about being human and picking people out of the crowd, it's like, actually we are human beings, you're human beings, the purpose of us being here tonight for the most part, what we do anyway is you just want to dance and have fun. Mm-hmm. We can still do that, even though you're not, you know, you're mm-hmm. not, a, you know, you're not a fan of the music. Mm-hmm. So potentially breaking down the barriers of mm-hmm. of the um, of what they're there for, and actually understanding what they're there for, and helping them get something out of it anyway. I think it being being blunt about it as well would that work? Mm. Yeah, and stating out loud that they're going to do the best job they possibly can mm. to entertain. Entertain, right? Because I think we do forget that we are in the business of show business. We, we, when I was a young lady, when I went to France, it was a a very immediate experience because we were busking in the street. And I don't know how I got the courage to do this, but we used to literally position ourselves at terraces in the south of France, restaurant terraces, and I used to sit down next to somebody who was completely unsuspecting that I was going to sing. So I used to pretend to be a normal customer. And then suddenly my guitarist would appear from out behind the restaurant sign or something, and I would sing and stand up. It was kind of like singing waiters long before singing waiters existed. And people would be a bit surprised to say the least they'd be like oh dear like this and they'd all kind of like jump up because they would be surprised that there was somebody singing right next to them and 
again, you can use shock tactics, you can use the element of surprise, you can use, um, you can talk to people, like you said, break down the barriers and say, and say out loud, guys, we know we're not the kind of music that you're used to, but we're going to do our absolute best mm -hmm. to give you a great show tonight. Which is not making an apology for it. Yes. I think that's important to not go, yes. to not mm, put a negative slant on this. Yes, yes. Keep it positive. Yeah. And absolutely, like you see some, some singers get really offended if people don't like the music. The offence of someone. And um, that's just going to go circular back, isn't it? To the crowd. Hmm. If, the, if the singer is not enjoying themselves in the slightest mm -hmm. or is offended or has that negative attitude, mm -hmm. it's just going to reflect straight back on the audience and probably intensify hmm. to the point where the whole gig's going to break down. Someone's, yeah. someone's going to have a breakdown. Probably the singer. You know? <laughs> and also remember that you can't please everyone or you yeah. can't, all the time. You can't please... What is it? God, I, I hate confused. it when you do analogies. It can't be everyone. <laughs> I, uh, we'll put it in the show notes when we decide what it is. <laughs> yes. uh, oh, we stumble on that one. Let's uh, you can please some people some of the time, but you can't please all of the people all of the time. Chip, good luck you're it. <laughs> Flip it out. That, that was an Easter hatching. That yeah. was. <laughs> but exactly that though right and, and it, it, obviously depending on where you are again there's going to be some people that just aren't up for it and, yeah. Um, yeah you know and then they can still like you yeah mm -hmm. if they don't like the music they can still like you because of mm -hmm. what you did on stage mm -hmm. some people some people have ultimate respect for you dealing with stuff in a certain way mm -hmm. when it was less than ideal sort of situation Absolutely. love the way you dealt with that even though and I hear people say hear people say about bands all the time that really wasn't my cup of tea but they were kind of cool mm. I mean, mm. that, that means that that performer has considered the audience despite mm -hmm. a potential negative response about the music. And just goes to show, I guess, you can't just rely on taste to carry you through that gig. Mm. Especially mm. if you're at a wedding, you know, people go to bars to see a certain type of music, don't they? Mm -hmm. There's a blues band on, blues fans will go. Mm -hmm. At a wedding, if anyone there, you need to win everyone over or you almost have to be better at that job in that situation, don't you? Totally, totally. I used to love going to Covent Garden watching street performers there because you know the kind of mime artists who follow people and they mimic people's walks? Mm. Um, there is a part inside us all that is the human part that kind of goes, oh my gosh, if somebody follows you, deep down you kind of hope secretly they won't come up to you. But at the same time, if they do come up with you, it's like the comic... If a comic does pick you out of the mm. front row, like uh, my brother goes to comedy shows and he said, nervous, never ever sit in the front row. But there's a part of us that wants to get involved, but especially in England, culturally, it is hard to light that kindling. And the kindling is what it's about. If you can get just that, it's like when you rub two sticks together, you just get a little spark that makes a tiny bit of a flame that then sets the whole thing alight you're off and it may not be a blazing inferno like you said you can't necessarily guarantee that the whole audience are going to go mental for your show mm. but you're going to limit the damage at yes. least yes yes <laughs> <laughs> we were going to stay positive oh sorry oh. i lost it for a guy sorry that is the last half empty. i mean i mean you know you're gonna produce some good stuff you oh. know it's gonna be oh, i've switched it around oh let's <laughs> <laughs> so is that, that that's amazing yeah, seriously I, yeah, there's, um, you're an absolute mine of positivity and useful tips 
everything that you say makes perfect sense to these people. I certainly hope James, our vocal tutor, and Janea get a lot out of that mm. stuff because there is... It's just a wonderful subject, isn't it? It really... I mean, I'm, I know you're the same. But I, in fact, I don't think I've ever been in a podcast looking across at you being so absorbed in somebody like I can you genuinely you're absorbed in chip if I'm I am and you're yeah. staring at me which is the weird bit <laughs> <laughs> this is like a triangle of love <laughs> yeah, I'm fixated in this daisy chase thing like a daisy chase like you at him him at me this is just um, awesome but no it is um, it's just it's just um, yeah your uh, your experience of course like you can draw a lot from that I think maybe I don't know correct me if I'm wrong but some of your background and the stuff that you've researched and trained in, like NLP and anything to do with confidence, it it seems like it's kind of um, uh, sort of ratified your experiences as a younger singer. You know, you can you can learn that stuff and look at those situations as an eighteen-year-old when you didn't know that and, and think, actually, from what I've learned, it makes perfect sense why I went and did that. Mm-hmm. You know, the dealing with fear, mm-hmm. um, dealing with it from an early age, just saying yes. What's the worst that can happen? Oh, nothing. Mm-hmm. Give you the confidence. Actually, good things happen from it. Mm. Instantly gives you the confidence to say yes to other stuff that you might be... Mm. That could potentially yeah. get you in deep water. But I think, yeah, to, to, to have a bad experience of that and say no and look what you could have missed out on would, would mean yeah, I think a negative um, standpoint going forward. Yeah. I think just before we ask, we can let people know how they can get hold of you, Chip, more directly. But I think what we're trying to say, though, is that I thought, I thought the same thing. Um, if people if people are thinking this confidence stuff is a bit out there mm-hmm. and it's a bit, should I really, that's for other people. That's what, you know, that, that kind of stuff. For me, sitting with you, listening to you and see actually looking at your life and speaking with you over the past how many weeks, months it's been, however difficult that was, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Voicemail tennis about 50 million times. But... The point is, is that you are walking proof for me that this stuff works. Look at your lo- look at the success in your life. Look how positive you are. Look how the, the happiness that you kind of spread in in the circles. I mean, I'm I'm immediately more happy when I meet you when I see you. So, and that does sound sweet, but it's it's the truth, you know. So, that is proof. And I just think that if people can embrace that and go, do you know what? Well, let's give it a crack. Mm. It's only going to go one way, I think. Mm-hmm, absolutely, and yeah, the. The logical nature of the subconscious, as we discussed before, it might need a less than, you know, just something a little bit more wacky to solve it. Something, thinking outside the box on that front. It's not just a pill, is it? Mm. It's not just a quick resolution or a system of things. It's actually, oh God, you need to find out that very individual caramel Mm -hmm. thing that's going to work for you. And that may take some weird, you know, I'm probably going to have to think about your dog. I mean, <laughs> it's dog. so cute and fluffy. Dog. Maybe I might just before I go hitting a high note, I'm just thinking about a Chihuahua. <laughs> but I think it could work. Yeah, I, I think mean, it could, it could, there, it could work. There for is me. one that's a bit more scientific, which is um, something I shared with my singing students on the mailing list recently. Which is what is the formula for courage? So this is the opposite of woo woo. Because um, and again, I learned this off Chris Howard, who was the guy who was running one of my courses where he was an American guy incredible teacher and it was called performance revolution and it was all about your performance in life not just on stage but how you perform in your life 
And he wrote this up on the board and let us tussle with it for a while. And he said, what is the formula for courage? And we were like, um, being brave. And he was like, uh-uh. Good, but that's not the answer. Anyway, the answer is, in order for courage to exist, you need an element of doubt plus commitment plus action. And he used the analogy, if you're about to jump out of a plane where you know, you had a parachute strapped to your back, obviously you weren't just going to jump out of the plane and with nothing. You thought about it, <laughs> yeah, at least. You sort yeah. of like put yeah. some forethought in. Um, and he said, you would feel an element of doubt because you would be worried you were going to die. But if you'd committed and you'd done all the training and then when the moment of truth came, you didn't jump out of the plane, there would be no action. So therefore, you wouldn't be being courageous. And by the same token, if you're doing something where the stakes aren't really that high, like you're performing in a kind of safe area that you're quite comfortable in, um, let's say you're doing some kind of gig and you're doing a covers gig, but somebody's plonked you and the band in the corner and there's nobody listening to you, then that's not going to be that scary because no one's going to hear you. So there would be no element of doubt. There's no risk that you're taking. There's mm. no doubt as to whether the audience will like or dislike you. So you might be committed by doing the gig and you might be taking action by playing and singing, but there's no element of doubt. So it wouldn't take any courage. And it's the same. So all the greatest performers who you see, of course, it's not to say that when I go on stage, um, my heart is thumping in my chest sometimes even before today which I, I was texting a friend and laughing because I was dead excited about the subject that we were going to be talking about today and I said this is hilarious we're doing a podcast on on-stage confidence and I feel nervous but that's when I get nervous or when I feel fear and this is where I may be different to some other people I get excited that excites me because that proves I'm alive. It proves I'm stretching myself. And human beings, by their very nature, the nature of being human is we are designed to consistently and constantly expand, expand, expand. You cannot contract. You can't unlearn the language you if you have a, a really terrible accident, of course. But you can't unlearn skills that you've learned unless there's some kind of medical intervention. Mm -hmm. But... Can't forget memories. You can't they forget just keep memories. building up. They keep expanding. Your field of awareness, you know, like when you get a new mobile phone, you're like, oh, I can't use it. And then you learn how to use it, and then you get quick and nimble at using that mobile phone, and then you use something else that you have to figure it out a bit at the beginning. But human beings are designed to expand. So, you know, just remember that in terms of the formula for courage, is there an area that you could expand in? Would it be kind of having that circle of fear get just a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger each time? Because if you keep expanding, you'll be all right. Mm -hmm. It just feels like you won't, but be, you will. Be prepared to allow that fear to... Exactly. Sure. Yeah. Awesome, blimey, write that down. <laughs> put it, I, I, I recommend put it on a chalkboard so it's going to feel like a real, real formula then, isn't it? Is it? Yeah. yeah. 
traditional. Put some X's and Y's in. Yeah, why not? Wear, wear a fake beard and a white coat. <laughs> Alright, mate. Okay. So, okay. Just getting in the swing of it, mate. Are you? Yeah. <laughs> right, so, so, what we should really do is, uh, Chip, if you can give us a rundown of, you know, what you're up to at the moment and how people can, I don't know, consume more of your wonderful material and or reach out to you if they feel they want to talk to you about anything in this podcast or maybe... Anything for future use? Well, what we're doing, us three ninjas, is we are designing a really special course for anyone who wants to build up their on-stage confidence. And as it is such a key fundamental area, um, yes, it's great to practice scales, techniques, learn lyrics, learn new songs, write material, work with excellent producers... If in any way, shape or form you feel that your on-stage confidence in some way is holding you back and preventing you from being the singer that you truly have the potential to be, then we are offering an exclusive opportunity for you guys to come on the course with us and learn these techniques through um, a group experience where you'll be trying new techniques with the people who you're on the course with you'll be getting exercises from us and we would like to extend a free space if people would like to get in touch with you guys at the naked vocalist if you can convincingly tell us why it is that you want to come on the course and the website name for the course will be onstageconfidence.com. So it's onstageconfidence, all one word, dot com. Mm-hmm. And we will put um, information of that in the show notes uh, and on the Facebook page. So please get yourself along to the show notes and the Facebook page. Look for this episode, Chip on Confidence. And um, that we will direct you to the place where you can leave us a comment... To explain why your place on this course would be most useful. Yeah. And then we will um, obviously announce that at some point. And, and announce, obviously, you can, you can um, check the Facebook page as well about ways of getting on that course should you not actually win that competition. Yeah. We would love for everybody to win, but obviously it wouldn't be feasible to just <laughs> give away free yeah. places to everybody. But we, w- we will give one person the opportunity... Um, make it as convincing as you possibly can. Tell us what you want to address in terms of your on-stage confidence. Tell us what it would mean to you, what you would be doing it, so that we really choose a worthy winner. Yes, this is going to be massive, I think. Is that if confidence affects everyone, especially in what we do as you say. And I think that hopefully we're going to have uh, some fun on that day and get some results and change some people mm-hmm. and, uh, and maybe film some of it. Yeah. Should we do that? Yep, yeah, with consent. <laughs> <laughs> you know what people are like? You put a camera on and they're like, oh, oh, uh, uh, I can't be myself. Um, but, uh, <laughs> okay, so listen, we, we said, what did we say? We said 30 minutes and then we said if it goes close to an hour, that's fine. I think we've gone over the hour. So, However, yeah, captivating though. Yeah. If people want to get hold of you, how can they do that? Via uh, brightonsinginglessons.co.uk Lovely. And uh, on Twitter? I don't really like Twitter. 
I mainly ding, ding Twitter because you guys are on Twitter. <laughs> that is embarrassing. I know, but I'm not really um, into Twitter. Like, I know every, every all these young, trendy media kids are doing Twitter. Love but it. I'm like, oh no, it just seems a waste of time. Snapchat. That's oh, the, I've tried that. It's just all I just send is pictures of my own face, just with a different piece of writing underneath it. Excellent. <laughs> it's not and very no creative. One wants that, do yeah, I send it to one person, Stefan. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> <laughs> just me and him. But but so if you want to get hold of Chip, yes, Brighton Singing Lessons. Or I'm quite happy to visit the Naked Vocalist page and do it that way. Okay. Yeah. Ace. Absolutely great. Well, Chip, thank you so much for your time and information and guidance and everything. It's been amazing. We're done for now. So, see you sh- see you soon. Sh- <laughs> <laughs> oh, that nearly went. Hey, you could come in our on-stage company. It's affecting my diction. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, see you soon. <laughs> Thank you so much, gentlemen. It's an absolute honour to be on this podcast. It's the best podcast in the universe. Ouch. There she goes. (laughs) There she goes. There she goes again. Right, we need to end this now. (laughs) It's been a long day. It's it's quarter to nine in the morning. (laughs) <laughs> and you're drinking this drink that drink absolutely honks <laughs> <laughs> of what it smells like it smells like dishwater that's been left for three days you know when you've left the you've left the bowl full and gone gone away for the weekend do, do and you, you know, come back and you get that horrible smell but they say if the worse a drink smells the better it's exactly for you. that yeah do they say that well, if you don't, I just did. I can't imagine that's true. We end in the... Water's pretty good for you, isn't it? What does that smell of? Eat it, though. Eat it, though. Chlorine in. I didn't say tap water. Oh. Right. What does water smell of, Steve? Nothing. Good. Thank you. The most healthy drink of all. There goes your principle. So, we fell out. On air. <laughs> Not radio, it's not radio. Are we finished? It's not a radio show. Are we done? Yeah. Are you done with that? Um, no. Can you drink it? it? Smells. Okay, we'll see you next time for... Who is it? Dr. Teets, eh? No. Ian? Yep. Ian Davidson. He'll be talking about... Mucus. Mucus. Vibrato. Vibrato. Uh, and um, talking about tone deafness. Tone deaf, so if you're tone deaf, tell you what, listen to that one. Be prepared. Well, we're probably going to talk about the Vocalize You Artist Intensive quite a lot. Yeah. Only to inspire, though. So it's all for the good. And look out, a bit of a special treat for you guys on the next one. Quite a few helicopters. So if you're into that. Yeah. So. See, see you later. Bye.